Uh, good evening, Salt Company. Happy Thursday. Uh, let's go ahead and take out our Bibles. We're going to go Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. We're kicking off a new series tonight. Um, we spent the first half of this semester looking at the I Am Statements of Jesus and the Gospel of John. And uh, we're looking at who Jesus was, right? His characteristics. We saw he was the way, the truth, and the life. He was the bread of life. He was the great I am, all these things. And who Jesus is, we, we spent you know, multiple weeks talking about that because now what we're going to do for the rest of the semester is we're going to pivot to who we are in light of who God is, who we are as Christians, some core identities that we possess as followers of Jesus, as people who walk with the Lord. And tonight what we're going to do is we're going to kick it off with the fact that we are missionaries, but more specifically, we're going to be looking at God's heart for the nations. Because the gospel is not American, the gospel is not white, the gospel is not upper middle class, the gospel is not just for Missouri, just for Columbia students, the gospel is for white, black, brown, purple, green, rich, poor, north, south, east, west, the whole nation, all the nations. And so tonight what we're going to do is we're going to look at God's heart for the nations, and there's a lot of moments in our life, right, when we feel really small, and yet the world feels really big. 2016, I'm a Chicago boy, go Cubbies. Woo. Cardinals fans, relax, okay? I am, I am humble enough to admit that St. Louis fans have had way more World Series championships than the Cubs, so you can clap for that. But 2016, we got a picture up here of it. The Cubs won the World Series after 108 years. All right, everybody relax. We finally got it. Go Cubbies. There was over 5 million people at this parade. It was nuts. Good time to be a Chicagoan. All right, 5 million people at this parade. I did not go because I went to school like a good student. If that says anything about who I am is my friends were taking off classes and they were going to downtown Chicago. Uh, but 5 million people at this thing, right? And you come back and you hear the stories of like, Zach, you should have been there, man. Like we were, we were chanting, go Cubs, go, and all this kind of stuff. Five million people. It's easy to get lost in that crowd. And everybody that's there is in shock and awe. It was a crazy Game 7 victory in 2016. Cubs fans loved it. It had been 108 years, guys. Come on. 108 years, finally. Go Cubs, go, baby. 108 years. People are in shock and awe, right? They're cheering, they're hooting and hollering. People are just enamored by all the players just hitting dingers. And we're screaming and yelling, right, for these things. And it's fun, right? It's good to get, good to get rowdy at Mizzou games. I've seen you guys. Don't play with me. But man, what about every tribe? Because Chicago's pretty diverse, right? A lot of different people. So every tri a lot of tribes, not every tribe, every tongue, a lot of different tongues, different, different nations are present in Chicago. So there's a pretty big crowd here, 5 million people. That's legit. But what about the whole world? What about God? What about being in shock and awe of who God is in front of the throne room of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords at the end of days, chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Salt Company, we don't have to guess what this is like. This isn't just something that we get to like, maybe hope happens one day. Psalm 33, verse 8. Psalm 33, verse 8. What I want us to do in a second is I want us to read this together. 
And some of you guys are like, oh my gosh, here we go, I have to read a verse out loud. And there's like five of you that read it with like good passion and fervor, and the rest of you are like, I'm just going to let the tryhards of the Jesus world do this one for me. But can we read this together? Because what this verse is declaring is why we're here tonight. What this verse is declaring is why you are in your seats right now, washed by the blood of Jesus. So Psalm 33, verse 8, come on. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. Come on. All the earth. Right? The world. Not just the U.S. Not just Columbia, Missouri. The whole world. My question for us tonight is I wonder, I have a sneaky suspicion based on my heart as I've been walking with Jesus for some time, is do we really, can you put that up back up there, Sammy? I'm so sorry. Do we really desire this? Like, do we really desire this in our heart of hearts that every single person in the entire world, all the inhabitants, would stand in awe of who God is? Is this our heartbeat as a ministry? Is our heartbeat of followers of Jesus? Do we desire this? Do we want this? That everyone in the world would have a chance to hear and respond to the good news of Jesus. So friends, this this is not missions night. This isn't. I don't want this to be some inspiring, emotional message about going overseas and taking on unreached people groups. We're going to talk about that. I don't want this to be inspiring and emotional. I want this to be an unveiling of the heart of your Savior, Jesus Christ. That his heart, at the core of who he is, is for the nations. That's what Jesus wants. That's what he desires. That's why he came to earth. And that's why, as we're going to see in about two seconds in the Great Commission, that he has given us a task to do, of which he has all authority and power, but he has absolutely commissioned followers of him to go and do it. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, the Great Commission. A lot of you guys grew up in church quoting this one at the top of your lungs. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All nations, Salt Company. We're going to look at three realities tonight. The first reality is that God so loved the world. God so loved the world. The whole dang world. In verse 18, we see this reality played out. It says, And Jesus came to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. Why does Jesus have all authority in heaven and earth. Why is it Jesus? Well, simply it's because he's the Savior of the world. He's God incarnate. He's God in the flesh. He's a perfectly obedient Son of God, and God has given him authority to move this, this mission, his kingdom-building mission, forward. Let's look at John three sixteen. All the Sunday school kids said amen. For God so loved, here it is again. We're not going to be able to get away from this. If you're sick and tired of me saying world, then my task has been accomplished. For God so loved the world... And a lot of us stop there, right? It's like, oh, that's good. I like that. That looks good on a t-shirt, maybe on a wristband. That's cool. We're comfortable right here in Missouri, right? We're comfortable in our C groups. We're comfortable right here with our families. 
But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So Jesus has perfect authority in this. And is this, this verse not just the gospel message plain and simple, right? That at the beginning of time, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, here we go. Some of you know where this is going. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, existing in perfect fellowship in the garden, right? God, out of the overflow of the love that he just has within himself as the perfect triune God creates Adam and Eve. Perfect fellowship. It was good. Trees, things that were pleasing to the taste, to the sight, to the smell, right? Getting to delight with the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We get to spend time with him in fellowship. He creates all these things that's good, and he creates man and woman, and it's very good. But then what happens? Some of you know the story. Worst thing in the world. Satan comes in and tempts and said, did God really say? Questions God's authority. Adam and Eve fall into temptation. They sin. Man separated from God. Cast out of the garden, right? We're in the presence of a holy God. Sin enters, and we're cast out. Thousands of years pass. And then Jesus comes, taking on flesh, because we couldn't ascend to heaven. Jesus comes down to us and says, I love you, and I want to bring you back into this fellowship. He lived the life we couldn't live. He died the death that we absolutely deserved because of our sinful rebellion against God. Goes and dies on the cross. But that's not it. Comes out of the grave. He ascends and he is coming back. And guys, this is good news. It's the best news in the world. Sometimes I wonder why we don't share it. Because what do you do with good news when you've heard it? You can't get away from it. Social media. Some of you guys are like squirrels on social media just texting the latest and greatest thing that just happened. Why do we not do this with what Jesus has done? We get so comfortable in our C groups, right? The gospel's so good. We love the Bible, man. John 3.16, I love it in C group. It's so good. We just get to open our Bibles, talk about life. It's so fun, right? But man, as soon as an unbeliever sits in front of you, you just clam up and you're like, I have no idea what to say. For some of you, it's fear of rejection, and that's appropriate. Jesus promised that, by the way. Some of you, you don't know what to say, and that's okay. But let's not be so comfortable in our holy Christian huddles that we don't actually share the gospel news, that we don't shut up about it because of what Jesus did and what he's doing still. Because Christ's authority is grounded on his defeat of death and his ability to give life. Jesus is sovereign. He's all-powerful over this mission. And friends, God so loved the world and the nations. It's all over the Bible. Here's a couple verses right here that I, I was able to dig up on God's heart for the nations. This is one of many times, there's just a couple up here. Yeah, take a picture of that, write, write all those down. Just to give you an idea, I've, I've mined scripture for a couple of these. There's not a whole lot, right? Just enough to fit on this slide. Every single one of these verse references, it's supposed to be funny. Every single one of these verse references has the word nations in it. Same word. But this ain't all of them. 490 times in the Bible in 465 verses, the word nations occurs in the Bible. That's how much God cares about it. You literally, you can't read more than like one or two books and not find the word nations in it because God's heart is for the nations. The heart of God is for the nations. 
That's what God is at his heart. That's what his heartbeat is. So if you're taking notes, write that down, because that's all that we're here for tonight. Saul Company, oh, that every man and woman, black and white, brown and yellow and green and purple, north and south, east and west, rich and poor, Indian, American, German, African, Russian, we could, go all, we could just list all the countries. Oh, that they would know the love of Christ. Oh, that they would know the goodness and mercy of a Savior. All the nations. But we're not foolish, right? We know this isn't the case. We know that the world needs a Savior still. There are still people who are lost. So the second reality tonight is that our world is lost and desperately needs the good news of Jesus. Our world is lost and desperately needs the good news of Jesus. Verse 19, it says, go. We could stop right there, man. I almost gave a sermon just on the word go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. There it is again, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. See, there's this call that followers of Jesus need to go and partner with the Holy Spirit. Sin still reigns. Satan is still, unfortunately, prowling around like a roaring lion seeking people to devour. This is a reality of the world that we live in. We have seen this all semester, right, in this series that we just finished. Spiritual blindness, people walking in sin, trying to find life in different places. This is why we spent eight weeks looking at the character of Jesus to understand who he is, and now we get to see who we are in light of who he is. Finding life in all the wrong places. But here's the reality, Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, hang on to that word, witnesses, in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Witnesses. What does a witness do? If I got called in to testify before a jury because somebody got murdered and I'm a witness, all I'm doing is merely testifying to the truth. Testifying to the truth of what I've experienced or seen, unfortunately, but man, if, if I've really been born again, if Jesus has really taken a hold of my life, I'm called to be a witness to everyone, very simply showing and telling what I've experienced. That's what Jesus is calling us to do here. This is right before he ascends. These are literally his last words to us in the Bible and the New Testament before Revelation. But and some of you guys may be a little bit confused, like, okay, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. If you haven't brushed up on your Middle Eastern uh, geography in a little while. That's okay. On this next slide, here's a little parallel for you. Help you understand this a little more. So Jerusalem, I'm going to call it here, near, and far. So here, the Jerusalem equivalent of here is Mizzou's campus and Columbia as a whole. Judea and Samaria are equivalent, which is near, let's just call it Missouri, the state, and the whole United States of America. And far, the ends of the earth, as described in the Bible, would be the nation's. And guys, you better be so grateful that this ragtag group of disciples in the New Testament, that they lived Acts 1-8 out, that they were witnesses. They didn't just stop in Jerusalem. A lot of us love to stop in Jerusalem because that's home, man. We love home. It's safe. It's comfortable. I get to sit back on the couch and relax. God doesn't call us to comfort. 
God calls us to Jerusalem, to Judea, said that weird, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And the ends of the earth in Bible times is Columbia, Missouri. The ends of the earth in Bible times is Chicago, Illinois, Kansas City, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri, and wherever everybody else in this room is from. And that time, that we are the ends of the earth. And I don't know about you, but I'm grateful that Peter and Paul and all these brothers we read about in Acts actually did what Jesus said. That they weren't the last people to stop. And it would do us well to continue in that same regard as we walk in a lost world. Jerusalem, Mizzou's campus right here, less than 3% of campus is plugged into a Christian ministry. If that percentage seems high to you, that's a pretty like conservative guesstimate by my numbers talking to other college directors on campus. It's really more like a 1.5%. Of 30,000 students, 3%. That should move us to be showing and telling the gospel. Judea and Samaria, let's call it near, so Missouri and the United States. First-generation immigrants and their children make up 8% of Missouri's population. Roughly 1 in 10 residents of Missouri is not from America. We don't even really, in all reality, need to leave Missouri to go to the nations because the nations, in many regards, have come to us in this city. How about the ends of the earth? How about far? This is where it gets real sad for me. Next slide here. This is... uh, from the Joshua Project. You can Google it if you don't believe me. People groups, 17,291 people groups in the whole world. So just groupings of people all across the world. A little over 17,000. Of those 17,000, 7,253 of them are unreached. Unreached means less than 2% of the members of that people group have access to the gospel via missionaries or scripture. If you work out the math percentage-wise, call it 42%. Next slide, Sammy. This is population. If you don't don't like people groups, how about population? Just south of 8 billion people with a B in the world, 3,333,000,000, wait, whatever, that's a lot. That's a really high number. And if that number looks high to you, it is. Nearly half of the world. We'll let that sit for a second. These are souls. These are people made in the image of God. 155,252. 1,000, or 155,252. This is the number of people that die daily across the globe because they do not know the Lord. They don't have access to the gospel. They don't have a chance. They don't even know who Jesus is. Every day the population of of Colombia, essentially, dies without knowing Jesus. Let's look at it graphically. 1040 window. Every one of these red dots is an unreached people group, the people groups we just looked at. 
The United States is looking great, isn't it? But man, look at India, guys, come on. I mean, there's barely any white in there. All unreached. And the 1040 window right there, 69 nations reside, 4.4 billion people, two-thirds of the world's population. 90% of the people that live in that box have never heard the gospel before. A lot of you guys are wondering, like, man, why do we keep talking about global missions trips? What's the deal? This is why. This is why. And again, this isn't missions night. I really don't want this to be an inspiring or emotional thing. This is not meant to inflict guilt on anyone in this room. I'm just trying to help us understand the gravity and the weight of the world that we live in that is lost without Jesus. And we as ambassadors for Christ, Jesus has commissioned us in the Great Commission to go to these places, to bring the joy and declare the life that you get to have in Christ. I want this to be an unveiling of the heart of your Savior and what his heart beats for, because I think this breaks Jesus' heart. Every red dot. So those are people created in God's image. And guys, let, let's just be real. We have received so much in America. It's ridiculous. Like this, this gathering right here is illegal in so many countries. This book, the Bible, illegal in so many countries. People burn this book. I could get arrested right now in multiple countries for being up here opening the Bible. We can worship freely. We can sing freely. You can read your Bible at Memorial Union. You can pray in the student center with friends. We are so privileged in America to be able to have this. And it's something to be stewarded. Something to take the resources that we have and the access that we have to these things and bring it to the places where it's not allowed, where it's illegal. So I'll company with the Lord, please soften our hearts to see the need and the lostness of our brothers and sisters across the globe. These are souls, people made in the image of God. I remember when the nations first became incredibly beautiful to me, uh, it was the summer after I graduated high school, I got the privilege of going down to Mexico with my older brother. We got to partner with um, a missions organization down there and a church from Denver that I had some good connections with. And it was, it was a really, like, earth-shattering reality for me because I grew up in suburbia, Chicago, huge church, not very diverse. Um, honestly, I thought the gospel was for middle-class white dudes and, uh, you know, white-collar workers that went to the city every day for work. And I remember flying down there, and we're just eating frijoles and, like, tortillas and stuff, nothing crazy, right? We're driving through these towns just, like, super bumpy with our tour guide. It was nuts, and uh, there was just something about being, I mean, the church that we were in had like maybe, it was probably like 18 to 24 people in it, plus the pastor and his wife, just super humble congregation. We were literally meeting in like an alleyway that the only like barricade to the street was just like a barbed wire fence, like super, like not really that safe, not really a church. It was more of like just kind of an area of bricks that we met on. Only instrument that we had was a guitar. And the dude who was playing it wasn't really that good, but you get what you get. Pastor was not seminary trained. He just loved the Lord and loved the Bible, man. 
18, 24 people in there. The majority of them old abuelitas. They love to make food after Sunday service, man. It was, it's never been like that since then. I mean, there's something about, we put on a VBS that week, the city we were in, you know, Christianity, Protestant Christianity was illegal, so we had to be really kind of, uh, you know, finesse, if you will. Yeah, we had to finesse how we share the gospel with these kids. I had 25 uh, five-year-old little boys and girls in my group, um, and just getting to articulate the gospel to them in a different language just like really blew my mind. And I remember singing Father Abraham in Spanish with them, and it was like, dude, this is crazy that the same God that I get to worship in Chicago, Illinois, is the exact same God that we're singing to in literally this alley as I'm soaking wet, no air conditioning, kind of a guitarist guy, pastor's not seminary trained. Like, this is crazy. It's the same God. Everybody looked different than me. I was the gringo, the one of the only guys on the team from the U.S. who knew how to speak Spanish. And it was just like, this is, like, this is wild to me. My eyes were opened. And I saw the beauty of the nations. I saw the beauty of the gospel. My eyes were open to the beauty of God saying, when he said, go and make disciples of all nations, this was a, just a, a taste of heaven, just a taste of what that reality is like. And many of you guys that have either gone overseas with salt or done other types of missions trips, like you've experienced this, right? You know what this is like. It's beautiful. There's really no other word to describe it. It's because God is the God of the nations. His heart is for the nations. And guys, the, the spiritual need is great, but our God can and he will meet those needs because all coming, that's what he does. That's just what he does. But God has given us power through the Holy Spirit to go to these places and do gospel work. He's entrusted this, this ministry to us. And many of you are asking, like, man, what's the plan? How's God going to get us there to these places? Well, very simply, it's you. It's me. It's all of us in this room. Reality number three is that we are all sent by and with Jesus to carry the gospel here and near and far. All of us are sent by and with Jesus to carry the gospel here and near and far. Verse 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, here it is, I am with you always to the end of the age. How is that possible? Would it be nuts if Jesus was up here, we are just broing around? He's not here. But because I, I'm a, I'm a born-again believer, he's given me his Holy Spirit. Right? And for those of you who have, who have been born again, you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit in you, and he's guiding and leading you in these things. That Jesus doesn't just say, all right, we'll see you when I, when I come back, right? Like, I hope to hear good tidings of comfort and joy when I return. It's like, no, I've, I've literally given you the Holy Spirit to go. I've given you power, and now you're a witness, and it's your job. And some of you are like, oh, there it is. Christianity is all about commandments. It's just go, therefore, and make disciples, right? Just commandment, do, do, do. That's what Jesus is all about. Wrong. It's wrong. Because if you have received the gospel, if the gospel has really penetrated your heart, you cannot help but talk about it. You cannot help but say, sir, I, I just, I have to tell you what I've experienced. Ma'am, I just have to tell you about this Jesus who brought me out of my sin. He died for me so I didn't have to, and I just, I get off scot-free because he's given me free life. Yes, it is a command, 
but it is also a joy and a privilege to carry this news to people who have not heard it. Friends, Jesus alone saves. The gospel is still good news, and the world needs to know. Jesus alone saves. The gospel is still good news, and the world needs to know. But let me be clear. We are not exporting American ideology. Okay? The gospel does not have a political or denominational or monetary agenda. It's not about exporting a culture. It's not about exporting white Protestant evangelical Christianity to India or any of these other places. The agenda of Jesus, if he has one, is every nation, tribe, and tongue worshiping him, the king, on the throne forever. God so loved the world, the whole thing. And it's about Jesus bringing people from death to life because of his death and life. And it's still good news that the world needs to know. Every single person who has been claimed by Christ is now sent. Romans chapter 10, verses 13 through 15. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. <laughs> Hallelujah. Come on. You guys aren't excited about that. That's cool. Verse 14, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel. Some of you guys are reading that. You're like, just the feet. That's it. The whole person, but the feet are the ones that are actually going, right? Think about it in this way. Someone at one point was sent to you. Maybe a mom, maybe your dad, maybe a disciple, or maybe a youth pastor, maybe somebody in this room right here. Somebody at one point was sent to you. And what you've received from Jesus, you now are sent to somebody else. That's just the way it works in the God's kingdom. Think about it this way. Some of you guys ran track in high school. Maybe you ran track in high school. Or, sorry, maybe you run track in college. I said the same thing twice. Can you imagine like the 4 by 100 relay where you're just like sprinting as hard as you can, right? You're the third guy or gal in the, in the relay race. You've got the baton in your hand, and you're just cruising right along. You're coming around the corner, and you hand it off to the next dude, and he just he grabs the baton, and he just stops. I would be ticked. I'm like, dude, we're, like, we're coming to the home stretch, homeboy. What are we doing? Like, are you serious? You guys are laughing right now because it is funny, but, man, that's what we do with, that's what we do with sharing our faith. If the baton, pretend with me, the baton's the gospel, you've received the gospel, you've, you've gotten it handed off to you, and you grab it, and you're like, oh, yes, this is, this is, this is nice. Jesus is good, mm, sweeter than the honey from the honeycomb, y'all. I love it. It's so good. And you just hold on to it, and you just stare at it. And it, it's good. Let's behold Christ together, okay? That's good. Let's behold Christ. But let's not, let's not make the great commission the great omission and we just hold on to the baton. Let's be people who are passing it to the next person every time. Every time. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Don't be the last person on the track team to just hold on to the baton. Because here's the logic of Romans 10, these verses we just read. If you want somebody to get saved, how do we make that progression? On this next slide here, here's the progression. Here's the logic. I'm a logic guy. If somebody wants to get saved by Jesus, well, Gosh darn it, they got a call on them, don't they? That's what I'm just, I'm just pulling the words, the key words out of these last two verses. 
If they want to get saved, they got to call on Jesus. But how do you call? Well, you got to believe in order to call on Jesus. But how do you believe in something you haven't heard? Well, you got to hear about Jesus. But in order to hear, somebody's got to preach. Let me be clear, preaching is not just like somebody up here opening the Bible, preaching is three circles. Come on, three circles, gang. Three circles, right? Bridge diagram, just sharing your testimony, what Jesus has done for you. That's preaching the gospel, it's sharing the gospel. But man, the precursor to all of that, the rest of that is null and void unless you are sent. Right? Unless you're sent, nothing else follows. So let, let's not just like completely just throw away that, that right side because we, we chose not to go. Because ultimately we're disobedient is what it is. And Jesus commanded, it's very clear in the Bible. It's disobedience. So the question is, where are you sent to? Because guys, every single one of us is sent. It's not a matter of if you'll be sent, it's a matter of where. So where are you sent? Roommates? family, friends. Some of you guys have locked down an internship for this summer. Praise God. The engineering office, that accounting office, that's your mission field. Your roommates, your classmates, that's your mission field. Some of you guys may be like camp counselors, can of cook. Those kids in your group this summer, that's your mission field. You have been called, you have been sent, matter of fact, to preach the gospel so that those students or those coworkers or those friends can hear, then they can believe, they can call on Jesus, and then by God's grace and sovereign hand, they get saved. But again, you have to be sent first. And it's, again, it's not a question of if, but where. Here's the deal. Some of you guys are like, man, some of you guys are like, it's like, sorry. <laughs> some of you guys are like, I don't, want, I don't like this. Like, this makes me uncomfortable. I don't like doing hard things. Jesus promised persecution. Matthew chapter 5. He promised persecution. And he said, blessed, actually. Not like, oh, I'm sorry. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted. They will see the kingdom of heaven. It is a, it is a blessing and a privilege to be persecuted for the gospel. Why? Because Jesus is the greatest news that the world has ever heard. It's the greatest news he's ever heard. And some of you guys, the Holy Spirit's just been stirring in you. Like, I, I fully believe it. I, I've seen it. The Holy Spirit's stirring in you. Like, man, I, I see the need. And I want to go. And some of you guys are, are trying to quench the Holy Spirit's pushing and prodding and pricking of your heart to put a yes on the table for some remissions. To go where the gospel is not. Do not quench the Holy Spirit's leading. If the Holy Spirit's leading you in that way, listen, lean in. It's good. And friends, if you aren't going necessarily. Every one of us in this room is absolutely faithfully sending. If you're not going, you're absolutely faithfully sending because that's what the body of Christ does. You're faithfully sending in prayerful partnership. You're praying for your brothers and sisters that are going overseas, for the missionaries that you know over there. They need your prayers way more than they need your finances. You're praying Luke 10 too. 
that the Lord would earnestly raise up laborers for the harvest. You're faithfully sending by praying, and you are faithfully sending by financially partnering. That again, we have, we have received so much time, talent, and treasure. I would challenge you to be stewarding those things to build up the kingdom of heaven and not your own comfort. Like I pray for Salt Company students in this room that the most beautiful thing to you would never once be cars and clothes and jobs and careers and relationships and your comfort. I pray that the most beautiful thing to you ever would be the gospel of Jesus Christ and seeing those who are lost, accepting that and holding on to that and claiming faith in Christ because that's what this life is all about, fellowship with God. How do we do this at Salt Company with the here, near, and far? It's very simple. It's very practical. For here, we have a Salt International ministry. We're up to merch. It's like, all right, whatever. Uh, <clears throat> Salt International, right? There are so many international students at Mizzou. It's ridiculous. Some of you guys are here tonight, and I just want to say thank you for coming. What's up, gal? Love you, Doug. Um, like, this is awesome. Like, the nations are at Mizzou, and we get an opportunity to reach them while they're here. It's beautiful, meeting in, meeting in our community side, families' homes, op- sharing the Bible together, opening a meal. Student leadership, man, this gives you an opportunity to just faithfully be growing and getting discipled and, and reaching students on campus. In other ways, through summer internships, through Salt Company and Anthem, getting to help us continue to strategize, think through, build out strategies to reach students, both international and uh, domestic. So that's for here. Near... We're part of a church network of about 30 churches now, and we're constantly planning new churches at other university cities strategically to reach students like you guys, but also international students. And some of you guys, when you graduate, you're going to be wondering, what's God's plan for me? His plan for you is the Great Commission. And some of you guys may be wondering what that looks like, and it might be stepping out in obedience and, and jumping on a church plant to who knows where in the country. And some of you guys this summer, if it's not overseas, if it's not an internship with Salt Company, it may very well be jumping on our Salt Domestic Church, uh, church planting, we're, we're helping plant a church up in, uh, well, actually, I'm not allowed to say it yet. Um, we're helping, it's not finalized yet, we're helping church, plant a new Salt Company church, again, to help the church get traction and to reach students on this new university campus. And FAR, right, global missions trips. And again, if it's not any of these, your mission field is the engineering office. Your mission field is the kids in your counseling group. Your mission field is the accounting office. Your mission field is your family in your living room. It's your roommates. Every single one of us is sent. So friends, where is the Lord sending you? It's a very simple question tonight. What's your response? Where's the Lord sending you? For some of you, you need to wrestle with the question about how you are going to use your summer to make a gospel impact generationally. Eternal life is what we're talking about. And I can promise you, some of you guys are like, man, I'm so busy, you have no idea. This is the most free in your entire life you'll ever be. Just wait until you graduate college. It's nuts. Why would you not steward three months of your summer to see people potentially find life in Jesus? And along the way, you get to grow. Don't build your treasures here on earth where rust and moth destroy. Build your treasures in heaven. Friends, God first loved you, 
so that you can now love others. You were first lost and needed God, and God found you, and now you can go find other people. Found people, found people. Someone was sent to you, and now you are sent to others, commanded by Jesus in the Great Commission. Friends, God's heart is for the nations. He loves the nations. He loves the people in them. Each person in the nations and in the United States is uniquely created in his image, and Jesus came that he might die for them and their sins, and he has commissioned us to carry the good news to him. Jesus' last words in the Gospel of Matthew are all about the nations. They're all about the nations knowing him and the nations making him known to other people. So let me come back to this one more time. Psalm 33, verse 8. We're going to take off. We're going to land at the same airport we took off from. We won't read it all together this time. Let's just soak it in. Because this is the reality of what we're going to live in eternity one day with Jesus. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world, the whole world, stand in awe of uh, stand in awe of Him. The salt company, Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and He has absolutely commissioned and commanded us to go. Because His heart is for the nations. Would you pray with me? Jesus, I thank you for sending Eric Ness to me in middle school. Just a faithful man of God who taught me how to read my Bible, taught me how to pray. Lord, I thank you for Pastor Pablo in Guadalajara, Mexico, and his wife Rosa, faithfully sharing the gospel in Ciudad Guzman. I praise you for Jeremy and, Mary, Mary, uh, Jeremy and Miriam Richmond here in our own church body who are packing up their lives and their two little girls to go to India to make the gospel known to people who have not had a chance to hear the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you that your heart is for the nations. God, I, I'm grateful for the call and the Great Commission to go, that you have stewarded it to us, and I pray that as a salt company, student ministry at Mizzou that we would steward that well for you and for your glory.